One year, I kind of got an idea. You know, I want to try trap. I like to trap. I like to make lure, and I like to write. Where can it go from here? I would be able to spend more time in the woods. I was losing money hand over fish trapping, but I didn't care. Getting the traps out there is the hardest part, I think, with them. I would leave the critters in the back of my truck in the high school parking lot. We're going to set traps, like, no matter what. Some of these guys have trapped these areas for generations. We got through the furball. This is Northern Michigan. This is what you do. Representing trappers in a positive light. I'm going to ask you guys a question. Do you know everything? This will be fun. Trying to learn something from these legends. Ask questions without asking questions. Volumes of Purpose and Game magazine. There's structure from Perigo Gorman. Perg Lennon's articles, the Perg Lennon ads. Information, trapping radios. We are trappers on ourselves. To me, that's pretty important. All right, everybody listening to me? Develop a system yet because work it ahead of time to build big trapping. If you got very much the same as the you got bogged down. They started talking about these big fans. Most of my tunes are coming from up top, not down top. Probably the best part of the country in the world. I don't know, get them better. Trying to set predator traps and trash waders. The back of that beaver looks like it gets sheared. You better edit this part out. Yeah, we better. Back in the first shed, this is the Trapping Today podcast. I am your host, Jeremiah Wood. Great to be here. Great to have you guys here. Podcast is brought to you by Cots Brothers Lures, K A A T Z B R O S dot com. Trap smarter, work harder, enjoy the success that follows. You can go to Cotsbrothers.com to get all these trapping supplies, baits, lures, books and DVDs, and everything you need to get started. We're also brought to you by Fur Harvesters Auction, where the world comes to buy wild fur. And you can go to furharvesters.com to learn more, and we're going to get into the FHA. Uh, updates here very shortly but thanks for tuning in again guys it's great to have you and uh, i am sitting here in the fur shed when i wish i was out in the big woods working on my martin trap line but that's another story um, i had to hang around near the house today i had to ship a few cattle and so it kind of slowed me down a little bit but it was a great day to get in the fur shed and kind of work on some fur taking some beavers off of boards actually texted with a couple of local trappers here this morning and uh, one of them I don't know if you listen to the podcast I don't think he does but uh, I said you know it's kind of ironic I should be out um, he he was talking about he doesn't trap he's not trapping any beaver this year because of the price he had a hard time selling them uh, last year and I said I said you know I, I instead of being out on the Martin line like he was uh, I'm here working on beaver pelts here in the fur shed, and I, and I understand the irony in that. <laughs> but um, a lot of people think about prices based on what you know they look to the past on what happened in the past, and that means when they had good prices in the past, they're going to go and trap harder for something that they got good prices for. If they had really poor prices, they're going to remember that uh, sting, the pain associated with that low market, and they're not going to want to trap as hard. That's just human nature. It happens in trapping. It happens in farming and commodities. Basically, just about everything out there. And what you should be doing or should be trying to do is work against your human nature and think about what's going to happen in the future, not what has happened. And so that's kind of why I, when I did that fur market forecast that you heard in the last episode... I, I talk more about my optimism about the fur market because, yeah, we have seen 
really tough times here in the past few years. But I see things I think see things looking up a little bit. And interestingly, I'm not the only one. So I was kind of encouraged by this because I just read Fur Harvester's uh, 2020 fur market forecast uh, written by Mark Downey and if anybody who listens is in good and friends with Downey let them know I want to get him on the podcast I'm trying to get his contact information we've had uh, Taylor on great guy and I hope to have him on again like to get Downey Uh, and it it turns out I'm not the only one who who feels a little bit of optimism real stand-up guy interesting guy to read reports from and listen to um, hear his his forecast he is the CEO of fur harvesters auction this is not necessarily all forecast this is just kind of like a, a really neat update on his position their position on what's going on and how they're prepared moving into this season so I'll read it to you here this was from November 11 2019. It's a 2020 fur market forecast from Fur Harvester's auction. The global ranch mink industry remains in a terminal condition. Price levels continue to fall so far under production costs that only a small percentage of ranchers will remain going into 2020. The situation in North America is more severe as production costs are most often higher and AD, Aleutian disease, has all but wiped out most of Canada's East Coast mink farmers. The disease has struck several of the best black mink producers in the American Midwest as well, causing pelt-outs. Next paragraph. Our competitor, NAFA, North American Fur Auctions, has recently filed for creditor protection. And they provide a link uh, to where you can find more information on that. All of us at Fur Harvesters Auction, Inc., as well as the global fur trade, are deeply saddened by this recent news. A great many fine people were employed for many years with this company a company with deep historical roots that did much to form and build the fur trade through the centuries. The causes that brought about this unfortunate outcome will no doubt be addressed in the months ahead. As for our financial situation, Fur Harvesters Auctions Bank is Royal Bank of Canada and has been since inception. We have a great relationship with our bank and they are solidly on side. How this relates to our wild fur business goes without saying, but the impact is nowhere near as bad. However, the cause of the fall in fur prices was due mostly to the outrageous global production of ranch mink. Arguably, in 2013, global production of ranch mink was around 100 million pelts. It is looking like 2020's global production could be as low as 25 million and possibly less. This is what is needed to bring prices back. And once the pelt-out quantities in the many millions of skins currently in coolers bought on speculation the past five years are liquidated, the cycle of rising prices will take place once again. Looking at our results this past season, our May 2019 auction held in North Bay resulted in the best prices of the year on several important articles. The price of beaver rose a solid 28% on first section skins compared to our March 2019 auction. Muskrats and better coon sold at respectable levels and our clearances were strong. The items that did struggle were fisher, wild mink, and otter, and we're not seeing indications of these three species improving at this time. The 2020 season will once again see big demand for most all coyotes produced across the continent, with premiums being paid for heavy western sections as well as big eastern coyotes. 
We've met with most all of the major players in the coyote trimming business and have solid commitments of support from them for our 2020 auctions. We've had inquiries from the trade on Sables, uh, Martin, and expect to see prices come in around our tw March 2019 levels, which is much better than the, the May and June levels. Links will be in demand. As is always the case, A and B colors will bring stronger prices and clearances. Lynx cats, which are bobcat, remain in strong demand for the best A colored belly cats if the midwinter international fur fairs go well. This will help in moving the remaining off colored cats. This is what happened at our March 2019 auction with close to 100% clearance on lynx cats. The trim trade is for the most part doing very well and this can only help drive interest in big heavy coon and all wild foxes this season. Once again, when it comes to beaver, our results fly in the face of all others as we consistently deliver a solid premium against all competitors on price and clearances. We are expecting the market to come in where it left off in May. As well, Castorium continues to sell at very high prices as production is far less than demand. We are almost sold out of muskrats and have had calls for private treaty sales, which we have turned down, advising our next muskrat offering will be available in March, at which time we will have valued them at the levels we sold them at in May 2019. All taxidermy species like wolves, wolverine, and bears are in demand, and the best handled prime pelts are highly valued. Rumors continue to monopolize the fur world currently, and our view and position on this remains constant. We cut our grass the way we cut our grass and keep our noses clean and on our side of the fence. We pay our bills and own all our real estate outright. Those of you that attended our convention years ago witnessed the burning of the mortgage with the RBC Bank president front and center as I set it on fire. The fur business is like all other businesses that float between years of prosperity and trouble. The past several years have been a test to all of us, and this facility remains steadfast because of the thousands that entrust FHA in the marketing of their catch. Our numbers of new shippers have grown tremendously during the past five years of declining prices. The reason for this is, and will continue to be, service and respect to each and every shipper no matter how much fur is in the bags. To those trappers that have never done business with FHA before, we welcome the opportunity to be your auction service now and into the future. We are optimistic that the wild fur business will start to pick up this year and hope that this is the case. Respectfully, Mark Downey, Chief Executive Officer for Harvesters Auction, Inc. So that's a little bit from Mark, and I'm glad that he shares my optimism there. Um, there, you know, there are some species, like he said, it's going to be tough to sell. But for the most part, we're, you know, we're going to work through this and I believe we've hit a bottom here and uh, things are going to look up. Now today was a good day despite having been stuck around home and spent a little time in the fur shed, you know, cleaning up, working, doing some beaver pelts and stuff. Still got a bunch of work to do tonight. But I did get out this afternoon with my boy and one of the beauties of trapping is the ability to uh, hang around and, and kind of spend time with the family and you know you don't always have to be going hard charging sometimes you can just kind of relax and have a close line near home that you can run with family members and and just enjoy yourself and have fun so we set six traps out we're actually 
funny to say it is November 16 as I record this we got almost a foot of snow on the ground and it was super cold today the highs were in the low high was in the low 20s and the wind northwest wind was a cold wind was blowing pretty good Uh, but the sun was shining it was a day when the sun was shining when the sun's shining you can't complain but anyway for you know mid-November this is basically we're in a pattern here the last few years where winter starts two three weeks early and it ends two three weeks late it's just a cold long cold winter um i i don't know all the climate projections and everybody's talking about things you know a lot of people talking about things getting warmer there's certainly you know we may be hotter in the summer but our winters are certainly longer colder and snowier uh over the past several years it's been pretty pretty rough, but the fun thing is in, in November I can fire up the snowmobile and go out and set traps. And so we were out there and on the snowmobile we put put six Lynx exclusion devices on the the dog sled there in the back of the snowmobile. And they, we took the old Yamaha Bravo out. It's nice to bomb around with that thing. And we get about 50 acres here, uh, cattle farm, and we've got some of it's in woods. And so this morning I was out working the cows and I actually saw a fresh fisher track and that fisher had been all over the farm just feeding and you know moving around and searching and, and looking and hunting doing his thing. So we set a few traps for him. We may catch that fisher. We may catch a weasel. We'll likely catch a weasel. Uh, there's, there's, there should be plenty of weasels around. And we will... Uh, We'll have a lot of fun checking these traps. That's the boys love to ride on snowmobile. And we did this last year. We actually caught a fisher just a couple hundred yards from the house. And we caught a couple weasels. So we we got those tanned. The fisher is hanging in the house, tanned. Beautiful, beautiful pelt. And the boys each have their own weasel that they individually help me catch. And so they, they have their tan weasel pelts. They each have them in their room. And they take them out every once in a while and show them off and play with them. So that's pretty cool. So we'll we'll do that again this year. So we got six sets out. We had most of them were for that fisher or weasel. I had one spot where I'd seen a few coons. And uh, we set those out. It's so cold the coons aren't very active right now. They're probably not active at all actually. And we got a skunk king around. He's pretty... Uh, he, he, he hasn't come out since we had this... Uh, big cold snap but we'll we'll set in those areas actually next week it might warm up a little bit we're supposed to get out of this cold pattern here for a little bit so we'll see if that if that gets the skunk and the coons out and and may may catch one of those in in one of those devices as well they're they're tough they get a, it takes a small animal to squeeze through that opening to be caught but uh, anyway it's pretty easy you just toss the box over wire the trap to tree and and off you go. So we did a few YouTube videos. I've, I've been posting a lot on YouTube. If you haven't been checking in there, go check it out. Um, a lot on the Martin trap line. And um, we, we, me and the boy did a few YouTube videos here. We'll probably post up um, sometime in the near future and kind of just showed you get an idea of, of what it looks like around here and the type of traps we're setting and all that stuff, the type of habitat we're setting in. So we're about 15 minutes in here. I, I have a lot of things to talk about, but I think for this episode, 
Maybe I'll give you an update on my Martin line. So we haven't talked yet about the coyote trap line, and I'm going to do that in a, a very recent, very, very um, close future episode. So we'll get into that, and we'll talk a lot about my first real coyote line uh, in a very long time, in, in over in at least a decade now. And we'll get into what I've learned, what I caught, and how that all went. So that was good. But and and then there's some beaver muskrat stuff to talk about. But yeah, let's talk about the update on the Martin line. So I set out and I I wanted to be up in high country, high mountain country for Martin. There's uh kind of so here's the strategy that I come up with at the beginning of the season a couple years ago. So three years ago, we'll go back. Three years ago, I thought, oh, I'm gonna have a spot. I'm gonna set up and this is going to be my trap line. I'm going to find, I'm going to go way out in the middle of nowhere where no, hopefully nobody else is trapping. And this will be the spot where I set Martin and Fisher traps. I make a big line, huge line, has set a bunch of traps out and have these sites and these spots year after year. And these are my traps and this is kind of my territory. And I take my kids on this and train them up and maybe they run this same line as well. Maybe we even build a camp, uh, get, get a lease and build a camp up in the woods on that line. I don't know. That was just kind of my, the idea floating around in my head. And about halfway through that first season, I realized uh, that's not very wise. If I want to catch fur, that's not a wise thing to do. So first thing was my second run through the line, I met at some other trappers who had been trapping there for a few years. So it wasn't exclusive area that nobody else trapped even though it was extremely remote. Um, Additionally, I realized that I was in an area that had been heavily harvested. The timber had been harvested. It was a young forest. It didn't support high marten densities. It supported quite a few fisher, which proved more difficult to catch with the uh, lynx exclusion devices I was using. And then I realized that there were so many different dynamics going on, and my catch rate per trap per trap night was so low that to be successful I really needed to be dynamic myself and I need to be moving around to different areas and setting different places uh, set traps move set traps move so then for the last couple years I've been okay I need to go in set traps for this amount of time pull them and move to a new spot reset them and bang, 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 just kind of keep doing that the whole way through the season. And last year, I started out with that intention. And last year, this time of year, the second week of November, we got two feet of snow. We get two separate storms of at least a foot of snow each. And we can no longer get a pickup truck to any of the trap line. So I was stuck running the trap line on snowmobile. I had to buy a snowmobile that would run so I could go and run my traps. I was limited. I had about uh, 40, 30 something boxes, 35 to 40 boxes out at the time, closer to 35 probably. And I ran those on snowmobile and I wanted to add to the line, but I was limited to in the amount that I could add to the line by what I could fit on the snowmobile because we got to use these boxes and I could only fit like 10 or 12 of, of them strapped on to the uh, tote sled on the back of my snowmobile. 
So, so that was a tough thing because I had, you know, you could only pull and reset so many traps at a time. So let's say you're running a line of, uh, say three dozen traps. You're running 36 sets and you have to check it. We have to check them every five days and you work a full-time job. So you're running your line on the weekends and you have to take a day off, at least a day off during the week to uh, run your traps. So oftentimes it'd be like uh, run traps on a Sunday, take a Wednesday or Thursday off and run them again on a Sunday or a Saturday and a a midweek day and then a Saturday. So you're doing that. Now, for me, it was a couple hour and a half, two hour drive just to get to the first trap. And then you got that drive back on the end of the day. So you're a long ways out and you're, you're running your traps that takes a good part of the day. So if you want to move traps, if you, you're limited by the number of traps you can check in a day, and then by the time you pull, let's say you want to pull a third of your line, and you strap, stack them all up on your sled, and you strap them down, and then you got to go back to the truck, because most of the time you have short road systems that are connected by plowed road. So you have to load the snowmobile back in the truck and, oh, wait, what do you do with the sled and the traps? I don't have a trailer. I don't really want to carry a trailer in the back of the, you know, tow a trailer on the truck on those plowed roads with logging trucks coming at you all the time. So it really turned it turned out where it, it just was not, is not feasible to to do much. And then, then it's dark at 4 o'clock. So you're getting, you know, by the time you check your traps, you might be 1, 2 o'clock. You gotta get back. You gotta get your sled on the truck. You gotta get somehow get your some boxes on the truck as well. Then you gotta drive down to a new road system, unload the sled, get the boxes on, get your tote sled, and it, it just it just doesn't make much sense. Um, the only way to really do that set and move set and move, I think, would be ahead of the season to have like 150, 200 boxes out scattered throughout a large area. And then be able to just go with your traps and bait in snowmobile or truck and be able to do that. So flash forward to this season. And I have, uh, I set out, I have uh, the very first day of trapping season, I, I set out 38 sets for Martin and Fisher. And my goal was to set, move, set, move, set, move. And I, I set 38 the first day. The second day I set another 12. So I had 50 sets out. And then I started checking them. And, you know, you don't really want to pull the first or second checks because early in the season, the animals may be there, which they were. I could see in the little bit of snow we had, they were there, but they just weren't coming into the baits. They weren't that hungry. So you don't really want to go from an area where you have Martin and Fisher and then pull those traps and go to another area that you don't know whether they're Martin and Fisher are there or not. So I kind of hung on for a little while. I didn't pull. And then we got a whole bunch of snow. And we got to the point where I was like, okay, do I pull? And I was running 50 sets. So I went ahead last time around the line, and I pulled uh, nine of those 50 sets. Threw them in the back of the truck. I ran the rest of them. By the time I got done at the end of the line, we had 14 inches of snow, or a little more, up in the mountains. 
and I had chained up and everything else. And by the time I got down, it was, you know, I had an hour and a half before dark to go into a brand new road system and try to figure out a place to set those nine traps. So I ended up doing it. Um, so, so that's just going into some of the logistical challenges of trying to run a trap line with a day job. Because if I had a couple days in a row where I could do that, that would be, you know, that'd be the way to do it. But this was the weekday. I ran the line. I checked all the traps. I came home with nine boxes in the back of my truck. I didn't have time. I had to go back to work for a couple days. Um, and then I had to have, you know, today I couldn't get out on the line. So now I'm back to Sunday and I got to run all the traps. I got to run the, I don't know, 40 some traps tomorrow. Um, am I going to find time to set those traps? I don't know. I'm going to pull more traps. Um, I'm going to pull to where I have 38 traps out again. And am I going to have time at the end of the day to, to reset? We're going to have to see. So uh, anyway, it's 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 fun. It's interesting. It's logistics. It's, uh, it's trying to be effective and efficient, uh, but also trying to have fun at the same time. So that can be a challenge. But let's go into kind of what I did on the line so far this year. Um, I set out in an area not where I intended to start, but I decided early on I would go into this place up in the high country while I could get there with my pickup truck. And it's an area where the it's it's as close to old growth timber as we're going to get up here. And it, it hasn't been harvested since probably about the 1950s, which makes uh, the timber 60 to 70 years old or more. It's beautiful, mature hardwood ridges, mixed hard and softwood in some places, a lot of uh, mature cedar swamps down in the bottom, and just incredible country. It It's primo Martin country. It, it really is the stuff that dreams are made of when it comes to Martin trapping. It doesn't mean I've really killed it with Martin, uh, primarily because this is the odd year, in odd years in Maine. We have really high mast crop. We have lots of food available out in the woods. You can listen to some of the early episodes of the podcast where I talked about that and how in odd years it's really hard to catch Martin and Fisher. And it, what makes it even harder is we get them, make them squeeze into these little entrances in these Lynx exclusion devices. So uh, it, it is it really lowers your success rate. But we're catching a little bit of fur. So I, I made some sets up in that high country, beautiful, beautiful area. And uh, the first couple of checks, there were tracks on the ground. There were a lot of refusals. You could see where the Martin were moving uh, and, and they were investigating the sets in a lot of places. And so uh, I was on Martin. I was on some Fisher, uh, mostly Martin. The high country that wasn't harvested was mostly Martin. Last year, I had more Fisher than Martin on my, my line. So that was an interesting little change up and encouraging. I was targeting that. I wanted to catch more Martin. Um, I've caught four Martin so far, and that's off of three checks. I had two Martin the first check, two Martin the second check, uh, and a weasel. And then um, the third check, we got a foot to 14, 15 inches of snow, and I actually didn't catch a thing. And that was Thursday. I ran the line. I actually did a little video showing all the snow and and uh, starting to chain up to get up, climb the hills in my truck. And I ran the line and 
pretty much all my boxes were covered with a foot of snow so soft powdery snow and it was just a task uh, you know the job was just clearing those snow off the boxes making sure the openings were opened up where Martin could could uh, come in and, and be caught I mean they could dig through that snow if they wanted to they but they're just really not that hungry right now so um, you increase your odds by opening things up and and uh, trying to encourage them and then I added you know early on I started with uh, I experimented a lot this year with lure and baits and early on I've used a couple of different lures uh, I actually had four different lures that I started with when I when I first set out and I used probably I split it up in probably thirds where a third of my sets I would use a long distance call type of lure and that was split between the my traditional trapping today long distance call which you can buy on trappingtoday.com or on eBay um, and my experimental lure which is a call lure that has skunk essence and some of the other ingredients in the traditional LDC that I make but also some glands and some some other different ingredients in it as well and that experimental lure was on some of those sets but those made up about a third then I had a third of the sets where I used a sweet lure which was mainly uh, strawberry oil and honey mixed in with the grease that I used to make the LDC and uh, some anise oil as well and then a third of the sets I used a more perfume type lure and I won't tell you exactly what's in that kinda keeping that to myself at the moment but that that uh, that was was part of the the experiment as well so so I had that split up and then with baits I used a combination of uh, either I had fresh beaver meat tainted beaver meat uh, there's just beaver meat that was fresh and I left it outside for a while and it was warm early on when I caught some of those beavers and it tainted a little bit so it's a little smellier and fish and I haven't used fish um, for quite a I haven't actually haven't used fish for Martin and Fisher at all in northern Maine and my friend Jim up in Alaska said you know that we in Stanza A was the same way they just use fish up there for Martin so I decided to try it out actually I've caught uh, I've caught two Martin of the four on fish bait so that was interesting to see what I did notice about the fish is it puts off a lot of scent in cold weather you can smell it really 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 well it's a distinct smell even in sub very sub freezing temperatures so yeah I, I put all those out I've, I've experimented a little bit but as things have gotten colder I've added a stronger lure to uh, even a number of those sets that have had just a perfume type lure or a, a sweet type lure so trying to uh, to get those animals in as it gets colder it's a little harder to pinpoint or uh, scent locations that's the Martin line I'm actually as I record this tomorrow I will be back out checking so um, based on some of the tracks I've seen here around the house today uh, I'm hoping that the Martin and Fisher were active last night in the last couple of nights and maybe uh, we'll have something in the sets but my goal is to pull about a dozen more sets be back down to the high 30s and then uh, on Friday I'm going to pull the remainder of that line and what that's gonna do is again it's this balance like when you pull traps they're not working anymore but at the same time if you stay in a place where you 
you've caught fur, that fur is no longer available to catch, and you are kind of at a bit, all the other things being equal, you're at lower odds of, of catching as much fur as you could in other place. So what you got to do sometimes, because it's, you know, best laid plans, well-intentioned, that's all fine and good, but a lot of times when you actually get out on the line, your emotions make decisions for you. So I, at the end of the line, when I checked the last trap the other day, I wrote down in my notebook where I take all my trap line notes, my plan moving forward. And the plan was on Sunday, I will pull these traps on this particular string. It was about a dozen or so traps. Between Sunday and Friday, which is my next check day, I will attempt to find a day to set out some of those traps that I pulled. But I I know in reality with work, I probably won't be able to find that day, but you never know. You never know. I want to leave that open. But on Friday, I have the day off Friday, and I'm going to pull those remaining sets um, the 38 minus 12, whatever, whatever, uh, tw uh, 26. Those 26 sets, I'm going to pull all of those on Friday. And then Friday evening, if I have a little bit of time in the afternoon before dark, I'll go to a new area. And I have kind of an area where I want to move into. I want to work my way in a general direction to certain road systems. And I will start try to start setting that out. But Saturday and or Sunday, I'm going to set out all of those traps that I'd pulled into new areas. And that's going to be my goal. And I'm, I'm going to have the advantage of snow, uh, hopefully, uh, fresh snow. Hopefully it doesn't warm. It, by, by then it may have warmed up a little bit to cross things over. So it may be hard to find uh, Martin and Fisher tracks. But I'm going to reset into new locations. And I'll have two days to do it. And so the following check after Sunday, whatever that is, a, it'll probably be a Thursday, maybe a Friday, um, I will be checking traps in brand new location. And I'll try to continue to, to use the time available to, to do that somehow, um, to check, pull a few and set a few, check, pull a few and set a few uh, as, as it works out. But again, all these things, the time, the money, the gas money of going out there, it, it all provides a little bit of limitation here for uh, for fur where, you know, we're not even, we're, we may be making back the gas. Um, but we are having a blast, taking videos, get having experiences, having a lot of fun, and I, I intend to continue to do that. Uh, but for now, I get a bunch of beaver pelts to go back and work on and pull them off. The boards... Um, I'm optimistic. I'm going to I'm going to send some of these beavers to fur harvesters. Uh there's a fur buyer that listens to the podcast, great guy, and I'll probably send some to him. He's looking for a few beaver pelts. And uh I'll probably keep working on some low value what we consider low value beavers throughout the winter. Um I'm I'm a little more optimistic. I think the price uh is is maybe going to come up just a little bit this winter and uh and we'll we'll go with it and see what happens. So thank you guys for tuning in. Um, hope that was enjoyable, a little bit informative for you, a little bit of the process, the mindset, and uh, 
and hope to catch up uh, with you on on more of the coyote trap line here moving forward. I know some of you are deep into the season like me. Some of you, the season is just starting or hasn't even started yet, depending on you know if you're you're quite a ways south of here. So I wish you the best and hope hope you have a good season. Uh, but until next episode, keep on talking trapping, keep on thinking trapping. If you can get out there and set some traps, we'll catch you next time. <laughs>